We've actually been in a sermon series in the book of 1 John, and one of the things that we've been exploring is John is this eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus who's actually writing to the early church about what does it mean to be found as a follower of Jesus and someone who's not a follower of Jesus, and how do we distinguish the two? And one of the things that we've been talking about is this recurring theme that happens in the book of 1 John is basically this idea of light versus darkness. Now, today, as we talk about this theme of light versus darkness, and we continue to elucidate, what in the world is John talking about when it comes to light and darkness. Um, how does, what, is, what is the Christian faith all about? And today, what you really read, what Shalini just read for us was really what the heart of Christian faith is all about. And, and so this idea of light versus darkness, you'll notice that John begins to give other themes. And the past few weeks, we talked about themes of like abiding versus striving, how it's really about this relational connection to who God is, the living God. Versus having this kind of religious, task-oriented kind of faith. And so today, though, uh, in the passage, you read from uh, 1 John chapter 3. Look what it says. For this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Can I hear you say love? love? That's right. You've probably heard that word before. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, he's referencing Cain and Abel, a story from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love. There's that word again. We love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life uh, residing in him. So you've got this theme then of light and darkness. Now here's what John is doing. He's introducing another theme of what life with Jesus is like versus life apart from Jesus. And it's basically this. There's light and darkness, but there's also love and hate. Now, here's the thing. Some of you, maybe you're coming to church for the first time, and maybe you're new to this Christian faith thing, and you're like, all this religious jargon and this esoteric language of light and darkness, of love and hate, I don't really understand it. I don't really get it. Well, uh, even in secular society, there are some voices and some words where you can actually see the echoes of what First John and what John was writing to the early Christians about. Check out what Martin Luther King Jr. says. He uses this phrase in his book, Strength to Love. Now, check this out. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Now, civil rights movement leader, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we get words like this, you see, because the civil rights movement, the abolition movement, uh, the, the fight for women's rights, all of these things had underpinnings in something. And usually, if you were to trace back, it's no surprise that for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., actually the underpinning of his um, progressive thought as it relates to fighting against justice, of the equality and the dignity of all human people, where can we trace that back to? We actually trace it back to the Christian faith which he possessed. That's why when you hear quotes like this, they actually have echoes way back to someone named John who was an eyewitness to this Jesus fellow. You see, because what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and what so many others since the time of Jesus would refer to, this idea of light and darkness, love and hate, it actually finds, it traces itself back in the Christian faith. Now, this is what the Christian faith is all about, this idea of love and hate. Now, check out 
how different this might sound because oftentimes today when we talk about love, I know that in today's world we use the word tolerate, to tolerate someone, that we should be a people that tolerate one another. Despite our differences, we come together and we tolerate one another. Now check out how this would read if we actually used the word tolerate. For this is a message you heard from the beginning. We should tolerate one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we tolerate each other. Anyone who does not tolerate remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now we can read these words and there's possibly a chuckle that all of us might have, despite whatever religious background you might come from. You might be a Christian, you might not be a Christian. There's something about this word tolerate that somehow doesn't capture the power of the word love that John is communicating. Uh, You see, even uh, non-Christian writers might write about this word tolerate or tolerance and see how it often lacks in the punch that someone like John is talking about when it comes to the message of Jesus. Check out Cory Booker, who's a senator in New Jersey. This is what he writes in his book, United. He writes, tolerance is becoming accustomed to injustice. Love is becoming disturbed and activated by another's adverse condition. Tolerance crosses the street. Love confronts. Tolerance builds fences. Love opens doors. Tolerance breeds indifference. Love demands engagement. Tolerance couldn't care less. Love always cares more. Now, Cory Booker and others, they're all grasping at something, some sort of ethic that goes beyond simple, let's just leave, live tolerably with one another. Let's just live peaceably with one another. He's grasping for more. You see, from the Christian ethic, it comes from this person of Jesus. And that's why John is writing. He's writing themes of light and darkness, good and evil, love and hate. And he's talking about it in such a manner because what the world might offer in the words and ethics that it might offer, we might use words like tolerate. We might use words like love. But where is the founding? Where is the moral authority that that comes from? Does it come from human philosophy? Does it come from evolutionary thought, which basically tells us that only the strong survive? Does it come from capitalism and the the system of capitalism that tells us about a meritocracy that basically you can earn based on how much work, uh, work and sweat equity and talent you possess that this is what capitalism is all about. Now, I know there's some finance people here and you're like, you're making too big a mockery of capitalism. (laughs) Believe me, uh, I love capitalism. Um, We can edit that out later, but uh, (laughs) I love, listen, I I love the country and I love being here and I, but At its essence, at its core, what capitalism tells us is basically like, yeah, like let's just make as much money as we can. And that's why the growing disparities that we see in the world, what kind of ethic would ever tell us to actually give of ourselves, to love, to sacrifice at my own cost for the benefit of others? Is it evolutionary philosophy? Is it microevolution? Is it capitalism? What would dare give us a kind of ethic that says actually to live for someone and something bigger than yourself and to give of yourself, to be generous even with the things that you have and that you've earned with your strength and your hard-earned intellect as New Yorkers? What could ever call us to something greater? 
And see, what John is doing is he's introducing what this Jesus faith, this Jesus story is all about. The difference between light and darkness is this thing of love versus hate. And so when John is basically giving this teaching, he's saying something beyond tolerance. Now again, whatever background you come from, we can probably all agree there is right and there's wrong somehow. The question is, where does the authority, the moral authority that you derive from right and wrong come from? Well, from the Christian ethic, it comes from the person of Jesus. And look at how John actually defines what love is. He says, this is how we know what love is. He's saying people might throw around this word love and hate. Here's how we define it as a people of God. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. I mean, do you see what John is doing? He's basically introducing, see, this whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living and being, that we are a people, that what it means to live in the light versus the darkness, what it means to live in love instead of hate is to be a people who find that our Savior, the one who embodies love itself, that he would actually lay down his own life for others. He would do that for people who would not even be allies or friends, but even his enemies. You know what's amazing about the Jesus story is that time and time again, what you find in the Jesus story. Now, again, for those of you, maybe you're new to Christian faith and maybe you're kind of, when you think about Jesus, you're like, okay, Jesus is cool, but those Christians, they're known for being judgmental and haughty and uh, whatever else, you know, you could fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And yet in the Jesus story, there's time and time again, there's these stories of him where he will actually demonstrate love to people who are very different than him, who the world would not expect him to love or to care about. There's actually this story in John chapter 13 where he actually, he's been leading these disciples, these disciples into following him and teaching them this ethic of love. And what he would do in John chapter 13, it says, and then Jesus would show them the full extent of his love. And you know what he does? He gets his, his robe and he basically ties it and he gets on his hands and his knees and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. <laughs> now back then in the ancient world, people wore sandals and the only people who dared to wash feet were servants that were washing the feet of their masters. And here Jesus is, who's actually the master, who's getting on his hands and feet and knees and he basically begins to wash the feet of his disciples. So much so that his disciples are like, hold on, hold on, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus is like, no, no, you don't understand. This is to show you the full extent of my love. Now, here's what's so startling about that story. It's, yeah, you've probably heard that story. Even if you're not a Christian here, you may have heard that story before. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. Now, one of his disciples was this fellow named Judas. Judas, who we see in the same narrative, would actually betray Jesus, would sell Jesus out so that Jesus would go to his death for just a few coins of money. Now, Judas would do that. Now, can you imagine for Jesus to actually be getting on his hands and feet and he comes to Judas and he's like starting to wash Judas's feet? I mean, I could imagine I'm starting to think about Judas like, oh my goodness, this guy's going to, this guy's going to out me. I can't believe it. I'm going to leave this smudge on his, you know, foot or something. You know, like, I don't know, something passive aggressive because that's how I am, you know? <laughs> 
But yeah, Jesus, what he does is he, it, he washes completely Judas' feet as well. Isn't that astounding? Jesus would do that to the very person that would betray him. But time and time again, the parables are like this. Jesus would tell parables of the Good Samaritan. People who actually would love and sacrifice for the betterment of others. Now, Jesus would not only tell these stories, but he would embody this story himself. And this is what John is talking about. He's saying there's a brand new way of living. There's a brand new moral authority that comes into play. This, this cosmic battle between light and darkness, love and hate, it's found in this word love that is embodied in a person who would lay down his life for you and for me. And we are to have that same kind of love. So much so that when Jesus would teach his disciples, he would actually teach them in John chapter 13. After he's washed their feet, he would say this. He'd say, a new command I give to you. Love one another. Now, here's the startling thing, though. That's actually not a new command. Because loving one another, that was constantly talked about. To love one another. Of course. In fact, Jesus also gives these other kind of illustrations and stories where he talks about like how naturally, we actually naturally have love for people that we are naturally supposed to love. Whether it's our children, our spouses sometimes, or I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, like the people like us, our nation, you know, our, the same nationality, whatever it might be. We have people that we naturally love and gravitate toward. So what's with this new commandment, Jesus? What in, this, what in the world? is this new commandment. Here's a new commandment. <laughs> you see, now this is the explosive message of Christianity. Jesus says, a new commandment I give, love one another. But I'm going to one-up you. The new commandment is this, that you are to love one another as I have loved you. And how has Jesus loved us? Well, this is what John would talk about in this letter. Jesus would be one who would give and lay down his life for us, for each other. And here's what ends up being revealed. Sacrificial love is what's at the heart of the Christian faith. Not sacrificial love simply for people that we're supposed to love. But sacrificial love for the people we're not supposed to love. What would it look like if our homes were marked by a sacrificial love? Where we were all trying to outlove each other in our homes. What would it look like if sacrificial love marked the way that we as a church community were embedded in this city, that we embodied a kind of love where it's like, whoa, those Christians, they're just known for how annoyingly loving they are. Imagine how our city would change. Imagine how our world would change. Imagine how you and I would change. Imagine if the stories that were told of the church right here in New York was a story of those folks are so sacrificially loving for everyone in our city. Not just the people those Christians agree with, but even the people that the Christians may not agree with. What if in every nook and cranny of our city, what if... Even the most marginalized people in our city, they felt so undeniably loved and cared for that they were celebrated by us, the church. 
Now, now this goes beyond, you know, are you compromising your message or da 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 da? Because here's the thing about Jesus: Jesus is someone who's perfectly holy, completely embodying truth and otherness, right? Like Jesus is completely holy and sinless, and yet Jesus had this moniker, "Friend of Sinners." He's the most approachable person in the history of mankind. That somehow he could embody both holiness and incredible loving behavior. What would it look like if we as a church community could be known for our sacrificial love? I just want to mention Jane right here. She actually helps lead an organization called Do For One. Do For One's an organization that's kind of modeled after this statement, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And what Jane does is she uh, not only has friendships with people who uh, have disabilities mentally as well as physically and creates friendship relationships, not in this kind of top-down manner, but really in this um, lateral relationship of friendship with people with these disabilities. Um, And the idea behind this nonprofit is to connect people uh, as human beings in friendship relationships. And it's a beautiful work that she's doing. And, you know, like... I, whenever I hear stories of what's happening at Do For One or in other organizations, I get so encouraged by, because, like, why would people do this? Why, why? We're, we're New Yorkers. We've got busy lives to lead and tons of shows to watch on Netflix and Amazon Prime. You know, like, why would anyone want to make a difference in the lives of those who might be physically or mentally disabled? It's because... Sacrificial love has always been at the heart of Christian faith. It's always been at the heart of Christian faith. You know, John, check out what he he writes here. Because in this passage, he basically says, Shervin, can we go to the next slide? Um, I'm not sure what happened there. He says, this is how we know what love is. Now, this word know is the word gnosko, which doesn't mean simply like you know it as a fact You've read it on Wikipedia, but it means you've actually experienced it. You've known this deeply. You've somehow, it's not only kind of reached your head, but it's also dripped down into your own heart. And he says, this is how we know what love is. It's when we've actually experienced this. And here's the reality. In our polarized world today, isn't this the kind of thing that could actually heal the world. Sacrificial love that goes beyond differences, that serves despite this person being my so-called enemy. And here's what John is basically saying. Like, you see, the way that you know whether you've experienced light and darkness or love versus hate is when you've begun to actually know this love deeply. When it's come and it's transformed you. In 2006, there was a story of a a shooter, a gunman, who actually went into a Lancaster um, schoolhouse. And this man ended up murdering five children in this Amish community in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And I was reading this article on NPR. This was an article that was written 10 years later. And it's... It's so phenomenal to read this article. This is what it says, and I'm quoting from the article. It says, in 2006, a gunman barricaded himself inside a one-room Amish schoolhouse near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Then he opened fire. Charles Charlie Roberts killed five children and injured five others before killing himself. 
the Amish community responded in a way that many found surprising. They forgave the shooter. And in the years since, they have actually grown close to the family. This is a quote from the mother of Charlie Roberts, the murderer. I will never forget the devastation caused by my son, says the 65-year-old Terry. But one of the fathers the other night, he said, none of us would have ever chosen this. But the relationships that we have built through it, you can't put a price on that. And their choice to allow life to move forward was quite a healing balm for us, she says. And I think it's a message the world needs today. It's from an article in 2016, a decade after Amish school shooting, gunman's mother talks of forgiveness. You know, if this is one of my children, I'm not sure if I would have responded the same way. What would dare to give any human being the kind of heart to forgive, to love? You know, a year after the shooting, there was actually another article on NPR. And there was a counselor who would outline basically what that experience of forgiveness and the pain of that. And one of the things he talked about is how forgiveness is not just this one and done, like I've forgiven you, let's move on. But instead, it's actually a process and it involves grief. And here's what the counselor actually says in that article that was in 2007 on NPR. It says, tragedy changes you. You can't stay the same, Beeler says. Where that lands you don't always know, but what I've found in my own experience, if you bring what little pieces you have left to God, he somehow helps you make good out of it. And I see that happening in this school shooting as well. One just simple thing that the whole world got to see was a simple message of forgiveness. Why in the world would anyone behave this way? It doesn't make economic sense. It doesn't make... It doesn't make sense in our New York hustle environment. Why would anyone forgive this way? Why would anyone love this way? You know, um, there's a story that I've shared before in our church community, and it's a story of, um, actually, my, I have a twin brother. Some of you may not know that, but I have a twin brother. Uh, and my twin brother, even though we're twins, uh, his vision wasn't as good as mine. And so, and his vision, well, he was the only person in our family who needed glasses. And so my, meanwhile, my mom, my mom is someone who has excellent vision. Like she can like look at that wall and be like, there's like E. coli number three, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> she could, like she, that's how accurate her vision is. And so my mom, I remember my brother, uh, he struggled in school a little bit, and then um, the teacher said he needs to sit closer to the front, so my brother started sitting closer to the front. And basically, my brother was then telling my mom, like, you, I, like, I need new glasses. I need glasses or something. I can't really see that well. And my mom was like, no. She, like, it was incredulous to her that her son, when she has such good vision, could, could need glasses. And so, but my brother's like, I'm telling you, I need glasses. And so finally, they go to the optometrist and they check his vision. And so while he's doing this test, you know, he's covering, you know, he's covering one eye and he's looking and he's doing the test and he's doing awful. He's doing horribly. And so meanwhile, my mom is like, you can't see that. She's like berating him during this thing. You can't, what? You can't see That's an E. Of course that's an E. And, she, and he's just like, he's like, no. Finally, he comes back and the optometrist basically says like, yeah, your son needs glasses. Like he can't really see that clearly. And my brother feels vindicated, right? He's like, see, mom, I told you. I told you. Why didn't you believe me? 
But at this point, my mom's kind of mood had changed from being kind of incredulous to being solemn, and she started to weep. And my brother's like, what's going on? You know, like, he goes from feeling vindicated to all of a sudden feeling really awful. And so he says to my mom, he says to her, like, listen, mom, I'm sorry. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need glasses. Like, I can sit closer in school. Like, I can go without it if it's too much money. Like, if that's the problem, like, I can survive without the glasses. And then my mom says to him, no, it's, it's not the money. And she says, it's just, if, if I could just give my eyes to you, I would do it in a heartbeat. If I could just give my eyes to you. This is how we know what love is. Jesus not only says, if I could give my life for yours, I would do it in a heartbeat. But he actually does it. He does it. And he wants you to move from simply knowing about it, okay, I heard this story before, to actually having it reach the kind of the nether regions of your own heart and soul. And so today the invitation is, will, will, you, will you receive that sacrificial love? Would you be captured by it? Would you allow it to just melt you? And can you imagine what a group like this, what it would look like in a city out there if we were a people who embodied this same kind of sacrificial love? How much our homes would change? How much our marriages would change? how much our parenting would change, how much our neighboring would change, how much the culture of the organizations or businesses or companies or schools that you find yourself in would change because we were a people who embodied this same type of sacrificial love. What if we were to be that kind of people?